Are you ready for the word? Yes. Amen. I am ready to preach the word, been, re been ready for this, and, and uh, we started what I'll call a three-week mini-series a few weeks back, and this is the third of the three-week series, and we're talking about three areas you and I need to get right and keep right in order for the blessings of God to overtake us. We're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 28, and at verse 2 it says this, and all these blessings shall come upon you. How many want the blessings of God to come upon you? But then it also says, and overtake you. Not only will the blessings of God come upon you, but overtake us. To be overtaken by the blessings of God if, if, big word, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Then in verse 8 of Deuteronomy chapter 28, it says how God commands, God commands his blessings on us. And I love that. You know, God's blessings are there for us. And then the main passage we've been looking at as well is Deut uh, excuse me, Exodus 34, verse 10. Exodus 34, verse 10, the Lord says, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people, God says, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in, the, in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Now, in other words, we want God to move in such a way that others will say, man, what a mighty God you serve. What an awesome God it is that you serve. And so we're talking about three areas we need to get right and keep right in order for the blessings of God to overtake us. The very first week we talked about obedience. You know, if you obey the voice of the Lord, the word of the Lord. Exodus 34, verse 11 says, I'll obey or observe what I command you today. And if you really think about it, the whole book of Deuteronomy is summed up in the words of Deuteronomy 11, 27 and 28. I set before you a blessing if you obey, a curse if you do not obey. So blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. Then Leviticus 26 also sets out for us blessings if we obey and lists the curses if we don't obey. And you'll even recall Jesus three times in John 14 says, and I'm paraphrasing, but hey, if you, if you love me, you will obey what I've commanded. And even John the Beloved said in 1 John 5 verse 3, and this is love for God to obey his commands. And by the way, he says, in his commands are not burdensome. In other words, God's commands have been given to mankind, to you and I. God's commands have been given to give us freedom, to give us liberty. There's protection in obeying God. Uh, 2 John 1, 6 says, And this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. And so we have to get this area of obedience right in our lives in order to see the blessings of God overtake us. Deuteronomy 28 Exodus 34, verse 11 as well. And the second area we talked about last week is this area of holiness. If you read on in Deuteronomy 34, we are told twice, you know, the people of God are told twice, be, not, be careful not to make a, a treaty with those who live in the land, or they will be a snare among you. And that is Exodus 34, 12, and 13. You jump down to verses 15 and 16. Again, be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land, for when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and, their, and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, gods being little g, they will lead your sons to do the same. In other words, we are not to compromise with the world. Yes, we live in the world, but friends, we are not of this world. And so the idea of holiness is the idea of being set apart and separate from this world, from sin, and set apart unto God. It's a twofold purpose there. And so God even reminded Moses that the people of Israel were to be different and separate from the people living in the land of Canaan. What is it called? It's called holiness. It's called sanctification. It's being separated unto God and set apart from this world. As I said last week, holiness is being holy His. Holiness is being holy His. 
It's like, God, I belong to you. My life belongs to you. You have a right to do whatever you want to do in my life and through my life. I belong to me. Why? I belong to you. Why? Because he paid the price for me. He bought me. He purchased me. He has a right to do with my life and your life whatever he sees fit. And in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Even God says, among those who approach me, I will show myself as holy, and we are commanded in the Bible, Old and New Testament, be therefore holy, God says, because I am holy. As we discussed last week and talked about last week, when it comes to holiness, 99% isn't enough. When there's 1% of sin in our hearts, it's a foothold for the devil to use to get into other areas of our lives and, and to destroy every ounce of devotion that we had. And so I simply, I'm simply saying, don't give the devil a foothold, all right? Holiness unto God. And so we have obedience, we have holiness. The third and final area I want to talk about today that we need to get right and keep right before God in order for the blessings of God to overtake us is the area that I call worship. Worship. The final area we have to get right is that of worship. Back to Exodus 14, uh, uh, 34. Exodus 34, verse 14. Do not worship any other God. Verse 18, celebrate, celebrate the feast of unleavened bread. Verse 20, no one is to appear before me empty-handed. All right, so we bring the offering of praise, the sacrifice of praise. Verse 22, celebrate the feast of weeks, the feast of the ingathering. And also Exodus 34, verse 26, bring the best of the first fruits. See, all these verses, 14, 18, 20, 22, and 26 of Exodus 34, all these verses talk about our worship. Now, how many of us realize this morning that we have been created by God to worship. We are created to worship. And you will either learn to be a worshiper of God or of the devil. There's no in between. All right, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12. We who first hoped in Christ have been destined and appointed to live for the praise of his glory. You have been destined, you have been appointed by God to live for the praise of his glory. In other words, my life is to be lived. My life is to be used by God as, a, as an offering, as a, as a sacrifice of praise. You know, if I was to translate Ephesians 1.12, I would simply say this. We are created by God to worship God. We have been created to worship. Worship is eternal. There are two things we can take to heaven, and that is souls, and that is our worship. And the Bible says, in, in, or excuse me, in Psalm 22, verse 3, the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. The word inhabits is a word that means lives in, dwells in, occupies, or resides. It's just like you inhabit your house. You live in your house. It's your dwelling. It's your residence. God lives in, God moves in this atmosphere of praise and worship. I mean, read the book of Revelation. You're going to see praise and worship going on. I mean, you're going to see the throne. It's going to be all about God, not about you. And it's going to be praise and worship if there was time 24-7. But there is no time. God is eternal. But it's an awesome time that we're going to have worshiping and praising our Lord. And I can also say this morning that if you are bored worshiping God here, you're probably not going to feel comfortable in heaven. Right? I mean reality. Uh, 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. What's the purpose? What's the purpose of being a royal, a holy nation, a royal priesthood? That you may declare the praises of him who's done what? Who's called you out of darkness and into his wonderful, marvelous light. And so once again, the reason that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen people, is so we can worship him, so we can praise him. 
Psalm 100, verses 1 through 5. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Uh, it says, worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Why? Verse 5. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Matthew 21 speaks of children, the kids who are praising Jesus. And I'm glad the boys and girls as well as the teenagers are in here this morning. But Jesus went into the temple, which was supposed to be a house of prayer. And you recall he flipped over a few tables, the money changers and such. And the scriptures go on to say, the blind and the lame came to see him at the temple and he healed them. But this is what it says in Matthew 21, 15 and 16. But when the chief priests... And the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were indignant. They were sore displeased, one translation says. And they asked, do you hear what these children are saying? They asked Jesus. And Jesus replied, yes. Have you never read, and he's quoting from Psalm 8, verse 2, have you never read from the lips of children and infants, Rue, from children and infants, you have ordained praise. God has ordained praise from children. You have perfected praise. I call this passage, and I preached on this on Palm Sunday before, years back, but I call this passage pediatric praise and peeved priests. Because here the religious folks were upset at what the kids were doing, and what were the kids doing? They were worshiping. They were shouting. And the religious folks were upset. I'm here to tell you, those with a pharisaical attitude will always be offended by, by praise and worship. There will always be people who try to kill worship and the moving of the Holy Spirit. In Reinhard Bonnke's words, I say, let the dogs bark, this caravan's moving on. Amen. What did Jesus say? Hey, if, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, here's my take on that. God doesn't want a rock concert causing the stones. The, these, these are not the rolling stones, by the way. God's not wanting the stones to cry out. He wants his people to cry out. He wants you and I to worship him because he is worthy. Amen. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 12 through 23, it talks about David bringing the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom back to the city of, of David with rejoicing. In verse 14 of 1 Samuel 6 says that David danced before the Lord with all his might. Verse 16, David's wife despised him in her heart. As he worshiped God, as he danced before God, you see, worship reveals the heart. It sure revealed her heart. And Michael said to, to her husband David in 2 Samuel 6.20, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. In other words, David, you're embarrassing me. Cool it. That was Hartman's paraphrase. Well, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. And so here she is, and she's like, she's like David, you know, what you're doing is, is, is not befitting a king, you know. And then Samuel, 2 Samuel 6, 21, David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. And this is what he said. 
I will celebrate before the Lord. But then he says this in verse 22, I will become even more undignified than this, and I'll be humiliated in my own eyes. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. I've come to the conclusion when it comes to praise and worship that there are two kinds of people. There are dancers and there are despisers. There are dancers and there are despisers. Dancers don't care what others think of them, even if it's your spouse that's coming against you, as was David. They're going to worship God regardless. They're going to worship God because God is worthy of worship. Whereas the despisers are more concerned about what others think than, than what God thinks. Church, if you want fruitfulness in your life, you better become a dancer. But if you want barrenness in your life, like David's wife, then become a despiser. We have dancers and we have despisers. By the way, the word, the Hebrew word for rejoice is a primitive root word that means, quote, to properly spin around under the influence of any violent emotion. To spin around to properly spin around under the influence of any violent emotion, to be glad, to be joyful, to rejoice. Church, who says there's no place for emotion in the house of God? God made us and he gave us emotions and we ought to use those emotions as well as body and spirit. We ought to give our all when we're worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. That means it's okay to be excited about Jesus. I heard in the news this past, yesterday, I think it was, uh, Super Bowl tickets are going from anywhere from $6,000 to like $50,000 per seat, per ticket. $50,000. $6,000 way above my budget. All right. <laughs> And you're going to have all kinds of people there, and they're going to get all kinds of crazy today over a leather pigskin of all things. We're not here worshiping a leather pigskin. We are here worshiping the creator of the pig to begin with. His name is Jesus, and he is worthy of all praise, of all honor, of all glory. Give him praise in the house of God. He is worthy. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Amen. May they hear us in Vegas. You, know? <laughs> you see, God made us and he gave us emotions. And he wants us to be holistic and complete in our praise and worship. Amen? That's the climate. That's the, the atmosphere that God dwells in. You know what worship is? Worship, one person says, is extravagant love. Worship is extravagant love and extreme obedience. Wow. Hebrews 13, 15. Through Jesus, therefore, through Jesus, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Wow. A sacrifice of praise. Once again, do not take this topic you know, off the, off the, off the charts, so, oh, I don't have to worship, I'm more conservative, I'm more reserved than this and that. No, um, no, it doesn't, doesn't cut it with me, all right? If he's worth anything, he's worth everything. And I'm here to tell you, he is worth everything. Let me also add that just as partial or delayed obedience is unacceptable to God, and just as 99% holiness is not enough, it's also true that God doesn't accept half hearted worship. In the Old Testament, the least flippancy in worship was severely judged. God quickly punished those who were careless in approaching his presence. Amos 8.5 says this. The people were saying, Amos 8.5, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat? skimping the measure, boosting the price, and cheating with dishonest scales. In other words, I'm, in, I'm paraphrasing this. We want to hurry up and get this over so we can get back to doing what we want to do. We don't care about what God's agenda is. 
We have to hurry up and, and get this thing over with so we can go back to living our lives the way we want to live our lives. Pastor, when does the service end? Pastor, this is Super Bowl Sunday. Keep the message short. Because we have plans. We have a tailgating party to go to. We have this. We have that. I wonder if my roast is going to burn if you preach too long. People texting one another during the worship service. People on their cell phones. Don't tell me when that's happening that your heart is engaged even in hearing the word of God and worshiping the God of the word. Friends, not, God's not going to be moved by his spirit with that kind of attitude. That's why we need to create the right atmosphere, the right climate for God and, and, and God's presence. You see, praise and worship creates a climate in your life. Let me just give you an example. Have you ever walked into a room and a husband and a wife were arguing and as soon as you walked in, they stopped arguing, but you could sense in that room, you could sense anger, disunity. You could feel the climate of anger. I mean, I can walk into a room and you know what the climate is. For example, when a, when a couple's been arguing, you walk in on them and there's a climate you can sense there. You can feel the emotion called anger because anger creates a climate. Depression creates a climate. You can walk into a room where somebody is depressed and you can feel the climate of depression. You don't have to say a word, but you can sense it. Years ago when Jill and I were taking a vacation, we went to uh, San Francisco. And I could feel the climate of San Francisco and I didn't want to be there. You could feel the sin. I've heard the same thing from pastors and evangelists, even like in New Orleans during, during Mardi Gras. You can feel that. I was in Brazil years ago and they had carnival. Carn is, is flesh. Val is valley, valley of the flesh. You can, you can sense the darkness in some of these areas. I was in Vegas as well, just driving through briefly just to say I'd been there. Years ago, we went to go witness to the couple from Henderson. And uh, it's like, I don't need to come back here. You know, but, 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 but I've also, you also have learned this. You've learned not to ask certain people how they're doing because they're going to tell you for the next half an hour whether you want to hear it or not. Um, I have to be honest. There are even some pastors that are that way too always negative, always down the dumps, always this, that, and it's like, well, guess what? The same is true for praise and worship. Worship and praise creates a climate in your life. How many remember the story of, of King Saul? King Saul, when he was depressed, remember the story how he would become deeply buried in depression, and what would he do? What would he, do? he would call for David. David would come and play his harp. And as David would play his harp, immediately the depression would go. The enemy would torment Saul. But when David came and ministered in music, did you hear that? When David came and ministered in music, the climate would change. In essence, what was happening there? Well, David was putting on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. A lot of people say they want to put off depression. They want to put off fear. They want to put off anxiety and worry, and they say, I want to get rid of these dark days I'm going through. Friends, not only do you need to put some certain things off, but you also need to put on some things. In other words, not only do you remove something, but you replace that something. Because if you do one without the other, you won't have one long. And so not only do you remove depression, but you put on a spirit of praise. You put on a CD of worship. You put on some worship music. You put on the word of God. What you're doing is you're putting on a garment of praise. And you begin to worship. And your focus begins to change from your situation, your problem, your, your, your affliction, or whatever it might be. And all of a sudden, you're focusing on God. As many of you know, I was in Alaska this past summer to be with our missionary from Nome. Nome, if you have never been there, uh, not much there. It's the, it's, it's the end of the world, all right? It's, it's, uh, uh, it was the end of August, went there fishing. It rained every day. It was cold. It was in the 40s. Um, this was in August, and when it's 115 here, all right? 
in August, the temperatures were, like I said, in the upper 40s maybe for highs, lower 40s, upper 30s for lows. And it's a great climate. It's a great climate for growing certain things. Alaska climate is great for, for growing wild blueberries. Everywhere you look, there's blueberries. And we're picking blueberries and eating blueberries. And we've got buckets full of them. It's a great climate for musk ox and moose and caribou and, and bear. But I also know that being in Alaska and being in Hawaii, that, that the climate in Alaska is not conducive to growing pineapples and bananas, but it is in Hawaii. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? We have to create the right kind of climate, the atmosphere, if you will, to be conducive for the Spirit of God to move. Now, what is the climate? What is the atmosphere of your life like? You see, the climate of your life is determined by the people you hang around. Bad company does corrupt good character. The climate of your life is determined by, by what you listen to, what you watch, what you look at. The climate of your life is determined by the words you speak because our words have the power of life and death. And if you're always speaking defeated words and, and depressive words and negative words, it's creating that climate in your life, in your ministry, in your family, in your church. See, all those things create a climate, an atmosphere. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. David said in Psalm 34, 1 through 5, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make boast in the Lord. The humble, therefore, shall hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. I love that word magnify. How many have ever used a magnifying glass to enlarge something? In other words, make God, magnify the Lord. Make God bigger than your problem, because he is. Make, magnify, the word magnify also, at Grandma Oldenkamp's house, my cousins are here today, they will recognize this, but when I was a little boy, we used to spend a week each summer uh, at, at our grandparents' house. And I remember Grandma Oldenkamp's magnifying glass, and I would take it, and I would spot an ant. A little smoke ball goes up, ant's done for I don't know how many ants I killed, and I know God's counted them all, but we're, we're okay now. But the magnifying glass is powerful. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. In other words, your countenance changed. Something happens. Their faces are never covered with shame. Those who look to him are radiant. Same thing is said of Moses in Exodus 34, 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. He was not aware that his face was radiant because he has spoken with the Lord. Friends, I can guarantee you, if you spend some time in his presence, if you spend some time magnifying and glorifying him, if you spend some time worshiping him because of who he is, then all of a sudden your perspective begins to change. Other will know, hey, what's with you? You must have been in the presence of God. Put a veil on, would you? You know? <laughs> Once again, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. David said in Psalm 41 through 3, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. I thought, glory to God. He brought me out of the mud and the mire, and he put me in the choir. Amen. He put a new song in my mouth. Friends, we need to stop wallowing in self-pity. We need to stop rehashing all the details of what we've been through because we all go through stuff. I know some more than others. I, I've seen that, but we need to keep our focus on him. Amen? Because as long as we continue to rehearse everything that we, and we dwell on that and we're relying on self and God says, no, take the focus off you and put the focus back on me. That's worship. I sought the Lord, David says. He heard me. He delivered me from all my fears. He turned to me. He lifted me out. He set my feet on a rock. He put a new song in my mouth. 
Where's the focus? On Him. Not on me, on Him. Friends, learn to praise Him. Learn to change your focus from what is to what could be and will be when God moves. And so I ask you again this morning, what is the atmosphere, what is the climate of your life like? In Acts chapter 16, we have the story of Paul and Silas, and they were incarcerated, they were put into a filthy Philippian prison, their arms, their legs were in stocks and chains, their backs were lacerated, they were beaten, it was midnight, and guess what, midnight will come to every believer's life. It was midnight, and at midnight, they decided to change the climate, the atmosphere of that smelly dungeon, that smelly prison, and so what was Paul and Silas doing? They began to worship. They began to praise. And as, as they began to praise the Lord, the climate began to change in that room, in that prison cell. Their praises affected heaven because all of a sudden God heard what was going on. And since I'm preaching, I will tell it like I see it. God says, Gabriel, what's that singing I hear? Well, Lord, it's Paul and Silas in prison and and they're, they're worshiping you, my God. Now understand that Paul and Silas were praising the Lord in the midst of their depression, in the midst of their affliction, in the midst of their attack and their, their persecution. Friends, I'm here to tell you, if, if you stop appearing before God empty-handed and you start to praise Him and to worship Him, then things when, when things aren't going well, then you will change the climate and you will get heaven's attention. Matter of fact, you can even claim, uh, change the climate of your house. You can change the climate of your marriage. You can change the climate of your family, of your church, at work, or whatever it might be if we just learn to praise Him. Amen? Amen. 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 Back to Paul and Silas. So God began to tap His foot, setting off an earthquake. After all, the Bible says the heavens are His throne and the earth is His footstool. And I can see God saying, Gabriel, Michael, I like that. That's where I'm going to move. See, God inhabits. He lives in the praises of his people. Michael and Gabriel, I like what I hear in that prison cell. Let's go down and stir things up a little bit down there. Michael and Gabriel, I like what I hear at Baseline Christian Fellowship. Michael and Gabriel, God says, I like what I'm seeing. I see the people of God worshiping, worshiping me in spirit and in truth. That's what I'm looking for. Church, that's what God is after. That's where God will do wonders like never before done in any nation of the world. The people that live among you will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Well, what happened to Paul and Silas? Acts 16. The chains fell off. The prison doors swung open. And they walked out delivered. And, and, and the jailer and his family ended up getting saved. Why? Because Paul and Silas changed the atmosphere of that dungeon. To their praise and worship. Let me close with... Well, um, let me begin to close with one more Bible story, then I'll close with a true story after that. And it's in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, if you want to turn there. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Jehoshaphat sent the praisers, if you will, the choir, on the front line and sent them into battle ahead, ahead of the army. 2 Chronicles 20, 13, I'll be reading some verses here. All the men, say men, all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones, babies, stood there before the Lord. Notice this was a family affair. This was the family being together. It's also why, just pause, it's also why for 23 plus years now we have had Family Communion Sunday on the second Sunday of the month every week of every month. Second Sunday every month. We have family communion. Why? Because families belong together biblically. And I believe it's so very important that boys and girls as well as teenagers worship alongside mom and dad, which tells me, mom and dad, we better be setting the example. 
Families worshiping together, all the men, wives, children, little ones. Verse, 20, uh, verse 15, 2 Chronicles 20. The Lord says, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Verse 18, Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground. He humbled himself, and all the people, all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship. All the people fell down in worship before the Lord. Verse 19, then some of the Levites from the, the Kohathites and the Korites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Verse 21, Jehoshaphat appointed men. I love this part. He appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise Him for the splendor of His holiness as they went out ahead of the army. I want all the men quickly to stand to your feet if you're able to do so. Men, stand up. Just stand up. Men, and, he, and, and Jehoshaphat, remain standing, and Jehoshaphat appointed the men. Men, think of what would happen in this local church if we took the lead in our praise and worship. And Jehoshaphat appointed men to do what? To sing the Lord and praise Him. Yeah, but Jehoshaphat, I'm sorry, I'm just not wired that way. I don't, I don't get emotional. I don't really want to voice my, you know, whatever. And it doesn't matter. He appointed the men. You can, be, you can be seated. He appointed the men. Now, we don't understand it all, but as you read on in verse 22, it says this, As they began to sing and praise, the Lord, who's doing our battle for us? The Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, and they, the enemy, were defeated. As they what? As they began to sing praise, the Lord sent ambushes. God gave them an overwhelming victory. Jehoshaphat understood this principle, and I want you to get this. If praise leads the way, victory is on the way. Let me say it again. If praise leads the way, victory is on the way. Jehoshaphat sent the praisers, the worshipers, before the army. If praise leads the way, victory is on the way. Send Judah first. Judah means praise. Judah leads the way. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Church, when we praise, when we send out that praise and that worship, you're not only worshiping the Lord, you're sending it in the midst of principalities and powers. When you praise the Lord, you are confusing the strategies of hell. When you praise the Lord, you're short-circuiting hell's orders. Hell can't stop it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When we praise the Lord, we confuse the enemy. Because the Bible says the enemy began to fight each other. They destroyed. Yeah, they destroyed each other. Verse 27 then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem for the Lord, the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. And then it says this in 29 and 30 of 2 Chronicles 20. The fear of God came upon all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. See, this is what I pray for Israel today, that God would do such a work that the enemy of Israel would know the hand of God is here, we can't beat God. Think about it, think about it. Still praying for other 136 hostages to be returned to their families. You see, what I'm simply saying this morning is this, worship and praise dethrones the enemy. Going back to what Jesus quoted, Psalm chapter 8, verse 2, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies. And then it says this, to silence the foe and the avenger. To silence the foe, to silence the enemy. Psalm 149, 4 through 6, 
The Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with salvation. Let the saints rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands. Friends, that's warfare language. If we want God to move, if we're going to see God do wonders like never before done in any nation in all the world, if we want people to see how awesome is the God that we serve, if we want the blessings of God to overtake us, if we want to see God move powerfully by His Spirit, then church, you and I need to learn to praise the Lord and to change the climate. Change the climate in your church through praise. Change the climate in your family through praise. Change the climate in your home through praise and worship. By the way, it's the only climate change I really believe in. All right. One final story. I just heard this this past week for the first time. And then I was going to show a video of it. And I thought, no, I just transcribed it. And uh, it was told by Pastor John Kilpatrick uh, two weeks ago. He's been, he did a two-part series called The Greatest Need of the Hour, talking about the need to be in tune with the Holy Ghost. And, and if you don't know who Pastor John Kilpatrick is, he, he was a pastor during the Pensacola Revival uh, at Brownsville Assemblies of God in, in Pensacola, Florida. Spent many a trip down there. Timothy, you and I were down there a few times. Um, brought the board down there. He just had a good time from 94 through 2000 before I came here. But he is now pastoring in Alabama. Uh, still is ministering in his 70s and, and just has a heart for God and hears from God. But he shared this story, and I'm going to give it from his perspective when he was in Bible school, a gentleman came and spoke in their chapel service. And this man told a story in chapel that morning that led them to a three-day revival on campus. They closed the whole campus down. Classes were canceled. I mean, God was present. And the speaker at chapel said, when I was a young man, and I can't remember, John, Pastor John says, I can't remember if he was in the ministry yet or not, if he was just getting started in the ministry. But he was a violinist. And an accompanied, an accompanied violinist at that, an accomplished violinist. He was on a train, and this train was just chugging along, and the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, I want you to get off at the next stop. The man says, but Lord, I'm on my way to a concert. i got to get there, but okay, Lord, if you say to get off, I'll get off at the next stop. At the next stop, the young man, the violinist, got off, and he had his luggage in one hand, he had his violin in the other. And he says, okay, God, now what? The Lord says, get off the train, start walking, and I will tell you what to do. And he just started walking with his violin and his luggage. It was a small town somewhere in Illinois, and he just started walking. He says, okay, God, where do I go? You know, what do I do next? The Lord says, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. He got to a little street in that town, and the Lord says, turn here, and he did, he turned, he walked a little more, the Lord says, okay, turn this way, and, and God directed him in his path in that little town, never been there before, and he kept on walking, and God says, keep on walking, and the rest will take care of itself. Well, he started walking that way, and what he didn't know was there was a woman who had a daughter that was tremendously afflicted, and she was all gnarled up in her bed like, like a knot. She had no control of her saliva. She had no control of her bowels. She was a young woman in her upper teens or early 20s. She was in constant pain. She was afflicted. And the mother had gone as far as she could, as she could go in taking care of her daughter. And the mother started crying out to God, God, you're going to have to help me. God, I believe in you. God, I trust you. God, I tell people what you can do. God, please help me. Please help my daughter. And the Lord spoke to her. This was the day before he spoke to the guy on the train. And the Lord spoke to her and said, Tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning, be in front of your house at 1030 and just stand there. Keep in mind, this was the day before the Holy Spirit spoke to the man on the train. And the Lord said, There'll be a man coming towards you and he'll have a suitcase and a violin. And I want you to tell him to come into your house. So this man is walking down the street and he sees this woman in front of her house and she begins to jump up and down and she's screaming and she's crying, oh my God, oh my God, I can't believe it. And she wrapped her arms around and the guy's going, what's going on? This is going to be good, God, you know, couldn't believe it. And so she brought him into her house 
And she took him upstairs where her daughter was sick, laying in the bed, tied in a big knot, all twisted up, curled up, just totally deformed. And the man says, I got there, and I didn't know what to do. And I didn't know why in the world God would bring me here. He says, I didn't know what to do. And the Lord spoke to him and said, just start playing Amazing Grace on your violin. The man said, students, I pulled my violin out. I put it up to my chin. And the first refrain, refrain I played on those strings, he says, the power of the Holy Spirit came on that girl from the time I hit the strings on that violin. He said, students, that bed started jerking and the covers were flying up and the covers were flying all around and I heard bones popping, I heard bones cracking, I heard bones snapping. I looked at that girl and she was being tossed all over that bed. He said, by the time I got done playing, when we've been there 10,000 years, that girl was totally healed by the power of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Listen, that girl hadn't talked in years. She was all gnarled up. She was getting more gnarled up by the day. But when her healing was done, that girl was full of sweat. Her hair was stuck to her head. Her clothes were soaking wet with sweat. But when God touched her, when God healed her, she sat up in bed and hadn't, hadn't spoken for years. And she says, Mama, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. All this happened because a man was riding on a train and the Holy Spirit spoke to him. And he was obedient. He was obedient to God. And God came through. When God says, start playing Amazing Grace on your violin. Friends, when praise leads the way, victory is on the way. God lives, God moves in this atmosphere of praise and worship. It's eternal. This violinist changed the climate of that young woman's room. What was this young man doing? He was putting on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, the affliction. This has nothing to do with time as we know it, but it has everything to do with God's timing, God's purpose, God's provision, God's way. Keep in mind that God told the woman the day before this happened, go outside and stand in front of your house at 1030 in the morning. Because God knew, God knew that this man was going to be, be obedient. And I thought to myself, what if he didn't obey? What if he said, well, my concert's more important? Most of God working in our lives comes, listen to me, as we allow our schedules to be interrupted. That's when ministry happens did in Jesus' own life. And God told this woman the day before, and God told the Holy Spirit, told this man, get off the train. He obeyed. See, the Holy Spirit had an intersection of time when this miracle of God was going to take place, when the natural was about to meet the supernatural. Church, if we are going to see God move by His Spirit in a way that others will say, wow, what an awesome God you serve, then we're going to have to be obedient. I'll get off the train. I'll go stand in front of my house. We're going to have to be set apart unto him, holiness. And we're going to have to have a heart that worships God. A heart that worships. I want you to close your eyes. I want to ask these gentlemen to play Amazing Grace. Whatever your need is this morning, I'm going to open, open the altars in a little bit here. But whatever your need is this morning, believe God to change the atmosphere in your life, the climate in your life, so it's conducive to the moving of God's Spirit. Go ahead and play. Close your eyes.
morning I want to open the altars up if you would like prayer if you have a need you'd like to pray for if you need Jesus if you're a sinner in need of a savior then today is your day of salvation whatever your need that needs not bigger than our God let God work in your heart let God move in your life let God do what God wants to do I opened the altars up this morning. If you need prayer, I'll be praying, be available to pray for you. We'll believe God for you. If you just want to spend some time before the presence of God, what you're doing is you're creating that atmosphere for God to move. Obedience, holiness, worship. Obedience, holiness, and worship. Let's get these things right before God. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. If you would like prayer, altars are open. If you need Jesus to forgive you of your sin, the Bible says we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Whatever your need is, I'm going to invite you to step out from where you're at. Let's come on down. and Let's do business with God today. Let's believe God. If you would like prayer, just remain standing. I'll pray for you. I'll anoint you with oil if you need healing in your body, whatever it might be. But let's believe God today in Jesus' name. Amen. The rest of you, this is going to be the workshop of the Holy Spirit. We're going to pray. We're going to be here and uh, do business with God. And uh, if you need to go, God bless you. We have Wednesday night service this Wednesday. It's Valentine's Day. I know that. Be sharing on love in, in that topic. But uh, um, have a blessed day, blessed week in the Lord. Let's get obedience and, and holiness and worship right in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.